What a gut-wrenching loss for the Giants Monday night, falling 25-23 to to Tom Brady and the Bucks. Daniel Jones continues to doom Big Blue with big turnovers. Do the Giants need to start thinking about bringing in another quarterback? We'll talk about the 1-7 Giants with the guy who called the game on Westwood One Radio, the iconic sports play-by-play broadcaster, Ian Eagle. Let's get it all rolling next on Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, wherever you find your podcast. If you're an Apple Podcast user, give us that five star rating. And write in a nice review as we bring you two episodes every week, the morning after games and Thursday preview shows for the game ahead. As host of Blue Rush this season, our two-time Super Bowl champion, Lawrence Tynes, and Giants beat writer Paul Schwartz. You can follow the guys on Twitter at LT4Kicks and at NYPost underscore Schwartz. Joining us in the second half of the show will be the play-by-play man that called the game on Westwood One Radio Monday night. The legendary, the immortal Iron Eagle will drop by. But guys, the Giants fell to one and seven, and they lose another heartbreaker by one possession. Just an absolute gut wrenching loss for Big Blue. Lawrence, what is the definition of insanity? What do they always say? Right, <laughs> you, you, right. You, you, you do the same thing over and over and over again, and each time you expect a different result. Are the Giants making us all insane? They are, and and last night was definitely the toughest because it was the Bucks. It was Tom Brady. It was the quote-unquote best team in the NFC and should have won that game easily. They really should have won that game with the ball in their hands. You know, it, it's it's we're going to break it down, and we're going to talk about what happened in the closing seconds, and, and Joe Judge is very, very adamant about this when, when he's asked about why can't your team finish? He said, it's not about finishing. It's about the first minute is much just as important as the 60th minute. Okay. You can, you can debate that certainly, uh, you know, good teams can play okay and still find a way to win at the end of the game. But I don't like doing this, but sometimes you have to, I think this is a very heavy Daniel Jones centric game, you know, not that he deserves all the blame, but as I was watching that game and he throws those two interceptions, I'm thinking as the game's going on, is this going to be the game, Lawrence? Is this going to be the game? He doesn't have a turnover, right? I know. And then, and then there's, you know, they have momentum. Deion Lewis, you're a special teams guy. How does he, how does Deion Lewis start the second half, right? Yeah. I mean, an unbelievable kickoff return. And special teams yep. had a great game overall, the way they were heating up the punter yesterday. And I thought that was a neat little niche of the game that probably went unrecognized. They didn't have a returner most of the night. Yeah. This, this punter obviously didn't like pressure and, they did a good job. It worked in their favor a couple of times, but I was with you after the first half. Uh, you know, I was like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is their coming out party. And then obviously the interceptions happen. Some interceptions, you know, as Eli Manning used to always say, they all have their own story, right? Okay, well, this is a really crappy story that Daniel Jones is writing here. And these interceptions were unnecessary. They yeah. were not really, they, you know, he has a guy dragging him down. He, he forces the ball. It, it was just, it got to the point where Joe Judge after the game was asked a barrage of questions about Daniel Jones. And he said, Daniel is our quarterback. 
clearly put. This was the first time, Lawrence, last year Daniel Jones started with a different coach. This year he started every game with a new coaching staff. This was the first time where he was under the griddle by Joe Judge, who was asked a lot of questions about, can you keep Daniel Jones in this game, in this lineup with all these questions with all these turnovers it really was he was the difference between winning and losing in my mind I agree and listen he he did not have a very good game I mean there was a bunch of missed throws he could have had four interceptions over the top I mean over Over the top top. he missed some balls the Sterling Shepard ball you know they kind of replayed it where he was looking back I didn't think that was as bad a throw the one to Slayton it looked like there was that was a bad throw but there was two or three other times he could have clearly been picked and then that throw and that catch that Slayton made in that last drive of the fourth quarter, Slayton bailed him out. Yeah. That was a prayer that he threw over there. And Slayton came back and got the ball. So overall, he just did not play very comfortable. He looked uncomfortable. He just, he's looked that way most of the season, you know, happy feet and throwing off his back foot. And, you know, I really like him when he's moving. You obviously can't roll out every play, but he just looks like a better player when he's, when he's rolling out or, or doing things like that. When he has to sit in that pocket, I just, I don't know. The jury's still out. I mean, the turnovers keep creeping up. There's just too many of them to win and, football and, games. And, you know, you mentioned comfort. Uh, you know, I don't like the word swagger. You know, we all use swagger. He's got swag. Yeah. This guy plays with swagger. The defense is playing with swagger. You know, okay, that comes and goes. But so I'm not going to say Daniel Jones doesn't play with swagger, but the confidence, as you said, you know, the conviction of his throws. Now, he was asked a lot about this and he said, I have to understand when it's over, meaning a play. You, you know, and Eli finally got that into his head later in his career. Eli, the play is over. You have to go down, you have to throw it at someone's feet. You have to throw it away. He was asked directly, Daniel Jones, do you feel like you cost the team the game with those two interceptions? And he didn't say no. He said, I think those were costly mistakes for us that I have to to continue to work on and improve. So, uh, he's feeling the heat. He really is, and 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 this could be this is going to be a fascinating eight games with him because he's yeah. feeling the heat. And and he was he was it was troubling. Now now you look at the last drive and you say he makes a, he converts a fourth down with with a pass to Slayton. He he converts a fourth and what fifteen with a twenty yard pass to Sterling Shepard. He runs yeah. for fifteen yards. He throws a beautiful pass to Golden Tate for a touchdown. So you get the sense it's in there, but it it's is. just it just compromised. And and Lawrence, you know. Turnovers are the one thing that will get a quarterback benched, period. End of story. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think there's some games this year where maybe we would just run it 50 times and we would have one more win. I mean, these turnovers are devastating, and they're happening at the worst times. The throw he makes to Tate at the end of the game, that is a beautiful throw. But, again, it's too little too late. What you got to win these games, you know, before then. And they yeah. had an opportunity yeah. – to win this game taking a knee last night and they couldn't get it done. And it's really because of those turnovers. They, they scored 10 points off those two turnovers. He didn't really have a good game overall. I thought the offensive line competed their butts off. I thought Lemieux looked okay over there and they played well. They gave us a winning performance and, and Daniel Jones until he stops doing it is going to be known as a guy who turns the football over. 13 turnovers in eight games, guys. That's inexcusable. I want to get your thoughts, though, on the, the play that ever, a lot of people are talking about today, the two-point conversion. What do you think of them picking up the flag there in the defensive pass interference? You, I feel like you rarely see that, where on a defensive pass interference, they pick up the flag. That was a controversial call. A lot of controversial calls made all night, uh, some against the Giants. Not a great officiating night. What do you think of that? Yeah, they got uh, squeezed. Yeah. I think they got squeezed a little bit. The pass interference, I can – but the – the, the lowering of the helmet and then the pass interference on Toilolo 
were the two ones that really stick out. I think the two-point conversion, you know, looking at it, it was kind of a bang-bang play. And I won't say it was pass interference. I won't say it wasn't. It was just picking up the flag was rare. I wonder if they would have done that if there was 85,000 people in the stand. So Yeah, you know, you know, with no fans, there's no there's no mm-hmm. repercussions for the things. Now, the, the referee, Brad Rogers, was asked about this after the game on a pool report. Uh, you know, I agree with you guys, uh, Lawrence. I think it was bang, bang. You know, and, and yeah. look, first of all, Daniel Jones, throw the damn ball quicker. Don't yeah. double pump. Throw it to the outside. Deion Lewis is wide open. There's no flag. Yeah. There's, there's a two-point conversion, and it's overtime. Okay. Well, that's that's you know. So Daniel Jones threw him into trouble yep. as receiver. But the, the Brad Rogers said the side judge had the flag thrown on the play, and it came down to the judge who was on that side of the goal line. There was communication between the side judge and the down judge that the defender contacted the receiver simultaneously, and as the ball came in, so they huddled and said this was simultaneous, uh, you know, contact, and that's why. And you know, you can make that case if the flag was not thrown at first. I wouldn't have had a big problem with it. It just, when it rains, it pours for the Giants. And yeah. Joe Judge, uh, you don't have to be a great lip reader. He pulled down that mask after the game, and he <laughs> dropped he dropped something that is not suitable for – Jake, we can't say this on a live podcast. I mean, we, we could we could bleep it out if you want. He said, it's a f-ing joke. It's a f-ing joke. He said that twice. <laughs> so beep, beep, look, beep. look, we can't we can't use the word joke on this podcast, okay? That's right. <laughs> that, that to describe – no, it, it was it, – look, they, they didn't get any breaks. There's no question about that. you got to make your own breaks. But I agree. It was not the determining factor because – you can't leave it up to, as, as Joe Judge sheds, a third party. You know, you, you have to take yeah. the, the um, ownership of your own performance. I, I agree. And listen, I think all around this team, they in the special teams phase defensively, they played really well. It, only to have it, we're all going to go back and think about this game. It's really those two boneheaded decisions. I think the first pick, you can almost live with that one to some degree. I saw what he saw. But the second one can't happen. That's the one you have to get out of the repertoire. Like, you cannot keep making that that throw and keep making that same mistake. I mean, we're in game 21. And like you said, Paul, these last eight games, he's put so much pressure on himself that he ha- is going to have to go out there and go five and three, four and four. I don't know. I'm not saying he's going to have to play well and win some football games. Turnover free. Rubbish. Lawrence, you are a big fan of Matt Pert, as we know, the rookie offensive tackle from UConn. The Giants are doing something which I have never seen. They are getting young offensive linemen in the game in a rotation, right? You can see that in every level, defensive backs, linebackers, certainly defensive linemen, but they are doing it. In the game, Matt Pert played 24 snaps. Cam Fleming played 51 snaps. So they basically, it was, you know, 50% and 30% of the 74 offensive snaps. And, and that is promising. I think it's the first time since 2003 the Giants now have had three rookie offensive linemen start a game. Shane Lemieux, as you said, all 74 snaps. You he, didn't competed. Hear he competed he, last night. Right? I, you didn't I, hear I, his I, name yeah. called a bunch of times? Yeah. No. him. I thought him and Thomas, and Thomas played really well. You know, we've kind of kicked him a little bit on the show, but Thomas played well. I mean, he handled JPP. I thought Lemieux played well. Lemieux looks like he's he's a little undersized. He looks like he gets bodied a little bit, but man, does he compete his butt off. He is a dog. And Matt Pert, again, was the highest rated lineman. He is a dog. Wayne Goldman, who should get the ball more. Okay, Alfred Morris was a great player 100 years ago. Fine. You know, <laughs> right. yeah, he really was. You know, I mean, I mean, he was know, a great player. Yeah, it's a rookie in 2012, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, he's been a decent player. He's 31 years old. He got eight carries. Wayne Goldman got 12. I think Wayne Goldman is, he's not. 
Saquon Barkley. He should get the ball more. I don't know why he doesn't. It's like his fate is to just not get a lot of carries. But on that two-yard touchdown run, he ran behind Andrew Thomas and a little bit that of was, Lemieux. And, and, and Thomas just bulldozed yeah. his way into he, the end zone. Thomas played better. And I think him and Lemieux, I watched the game back. I mean, they, they, they handled and passed the twist off better than Hernandez and Thomas have. I don't know why that is. Maybe they just worked on it more this week, but they really handled the twist game really well last night. Yeah. Now, as a competitor, Lawrence, I mean, you played in these games and for years and years. And and look, if you kick three field goals and had great kickoffs and your team lost, I mean, you're not happy. But, you know, you had a segment of the game that you performed well in. Right. But you walk off the field and you're sick that your team lost. Now, all the Giants do is lose. Right. Again. Uh, yeah. And and. and it's one in seven, so this is a nice, neat after eight games midseason. Joe Judge was asked specifically after the game, where, where what is your team at midseason? You know, what are you? Rubbish. What do you see? Rubbish. And he said, I want to know if you're happy with this or, or this kind of sticks in your craw a little bit. He said, a lot of improvement. I see a lot of improvement. He's proud of the way the guys work and play and, you know, and, and practice and all those things. And he said, so if you're going to ask me the first year how I classify it, I see an improving team. I think they're improving, but is that enough right now after eight games? I think it has to be. And I and I I said this on Twitter last night. This there's no doubt if you're a diehard Giants fan and you followed this football program for the last five or six seasons, this is the best version outside of that playoff year of the football team. Now it's not showing up in the win-loss column, but the way they're playing, they're not making a ton of mistakes. They don't have a ton of penalties. It's really just the errors and the turnovers, if you really think about it, where this team could be 4-4. Four four. I mean, that's not hyperbole. This team could easily be 4-4. Four four. You agree with that? Well, I, I don't like that because, you know, you all are what your well, record we, says you are. But, yes, they, yeah. they, 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 they should have two more wins. They should have two more wins, and they should be whatever that is, three and five, right? That's yeah. what I think they should be. You, you can't give a team in every close game the win in every close game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're, they're, nobody does that. They should have beaten the Cowboys. I think they should have beaten the Bears. The Bears were so ripe for the picking. I think the they Bucks should have beaten the Eagles. Let's be honest. They, they should have beaten the Eagles. Really, the Eagles yeah. in this you game know, are the two games are inexcusable. You lose by one and two right. points. You've lost five games by one possession. One by one, one by two, one by three, one by four. I mean, you're losing games that one play makes a difference. And I think what adds to the frustration, guys, to Giants fans is that this is the year for the picking with the division being so bad three and five puts you a half game back of the three four and one eagles you know what, so jake that is an aberration i i agree right if they're in a division with a team that's you know the chiefs or the steelers you say okay there's, yeah. there's no chance but playoffs division wild card it's just not appropriate conversations with a team that is rubbish has won 23 percent of their games and lost 77 percent i wasn't a math major but i guess 23 and 77 is 100 right since 2017 one thing i think we do have to kind of look at in a positive light is this defensive coordinator patrick graham Ooh. is for real he is a dog he is for real Lawrence, he is right out, I mean, he is outstanding yeah. and the thing i love about what he's doing on that side of the ball is there's so many different players getting opportunities and he's using their skill set. So, I mean, Coughlin had a sack last night. We haven't seen him play. Cam Brown played last night. I really think this defense, you know, with a couple more elite pieces can be special. And, and it's one thing if you have these beautiful ingredients in your kitchen, right? And you say, this is the cream of the crop and I can make something good here. He does not have that. No. He has a couple, a couple of really good players, some okay players, some really young players. And he is mixing and matching 
Outstanding. You know, he doesn't have a second cornerback. He's trying to no. navigate his way around that. He gets pressure on the quarterback, but they don't have a guy, who, yeah. you know, the old-fashioned JPP who can just blow up his man and get the sack. Yeah. They have to do it through coverage. So he is keeping the team in the game, and it'll be very interesting moving forward if these defensive players kind of lose their way a little bit because they play their hearts out. Yeah. As Jabril Pepper said after the game, it's not like we're going out there and getting our asses kicked. He's right. <laughs> that, and and right? That's, that's what you're going to have to guard against this last half of the season is that little bit of dissension we said, you know, potentially creeping into the locker room, but hopefully it doesn't happen. One in seven guys, and we'll preview the game against Washington on Thursday. And what, what makes it tougher also for Giants fans is coming up in the schedules of the Washington football team, the Eagles and the Bengals, three losing teams, a chance for three potential victories if, if you want to look ahead. So we'll see how that comes out. Tune in a Thursday show. But coming up next on Blue Rush, it's about that time where Lawrence Tynes dives into a topic that's bothering him this week. And it's only fitting that the topic for Tyne's take today is Daniel Jones. Rubbish. It's time for the Giants to put Daniel Jones on notice. I don't know what that means. I don't think you bench the guy. I don't think you replace him. But I think what you do is you sit him down and you look him in the eye and you say, Daniel, this is not good enough. As uh, my old coach Dick Vermeil once told Larry Johnson, it's time to take the diapers off. It really is, okay? 20 out of 21 games, we've had turnovers. It is time to take the next step. Stop turning the ball over. Last night, we dominated the number one team in the NFC. Dominated them and should have won that game taking a knee. Instead, we're rallying. We're rallying and hoping. At the end of a game, we get a bad call. Sure, it could have went either way, but you make your own luck in the NFL. The defense continues to put a winning performance out there. The special teams continues to put a winning performance out there. Only to have these silly, egregious elementary turnovers creep up every game. Stop. It's time to stop. This team is pointing up. This team has gotten better every week. This coaching staff, from what I can tell, continues to put this team in the best position to win football games. Could easily be 4-4 four and four at best. 3-5. and five. We're 1-7. and seven. And a lot of that's going to be attributed to those turnovers. If you look at one stat in the NFL, one stat, turnover margin. If you lose a turnover battle in the NFL, you have a 90 plus percent chance to lose. It's a fact. It's been that way since the start of time. Daniel Jones needs to stop turning the ball over. He has an eight-game audition in my eyes, in the fans' eyes, and more importantly, in that organization's eyes, moving forward to see, are you a turnover guy? Is that who you are? Or are you a guy who can go win us football games without turning the ball over? You have an eight-game audition left. Hell, it may include a playoff game if you win some. So Daniel Jones needs to be put on notice just like every other player on that roster, okay? He needs to be told it's not good enough and it needs to get better. It's a joke. Joining us next is one of the most iconic broadcasters in sports. He's the pride of Syracuse. His career started at the great WFAN at just 21 years old, where he was doing, as my dad would say, Jake, you know, Iron Eagle does the 2020 sports updates. Uh, then he hosted Bagels and Baseball Show. He did Jets pre and post game. And at just 25, he became the Nets radio play-by-play man from there. It was history. He spent over 25 years as one of the great play-by-play guys in all of sports. His son also went to Syracuse and is the Clippers radio play-by-play guy. How about that? Wonder where those genes came from. Our guest currently calls Nets games on Yes Network, the NBA on TNT, 
college basketball, the NFL on CBS, and the NFL on Westwood One Radio, as he called the Giants game last night from MetLife Stadium. It's a tremendous broadcaster, one of the nicer guys in the business. He's not a rapper that rubs his hands together, but he is Birdman. It is the legendary Iron Eagle on Blue Rush Iron. Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, guys. Great to talk to you. I, I feel like the intro might actually be longer than the interview, so I want to live up to it now. I'm ready. Yeah, that, that'll, I'll read that at your eulogy in 40 years or however long <laughs> you make it. So I, I have that prepared. Uh, can I get 40? Yeah, I'll take 40. You, I'm good with that. Jay. Yeah, and if you get a 91 in this day and age, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll take 75 at this point with the amount of chicken parm that I eat. So you called the game Monday night, Ian. Uh, what is the experience like calling games now during this COVID weird era? No fans. And uh, just take us through what was quite the wild game back and forth. Yeah, actually really entertaining game, uh, very competitive. Uh, this has been a trend now for the Giants who are in games. Uh, they've got chances in the fourth quarter. I've called three games this year involving the Giants, the Pittsburgh game and the opener, the Philadelphia game last week, and now this game against Tampa Bay. But uh, unfortunately, something is missing along the way. And I feel like we're at this reflection point with Daniel Jones Prior weeks, there were still people that were saying, no, it's all part of the process and it's year two. And now after this game, I'm, I'm sensing there's a lot more, wow, you know, clock is ticking. He's going to have to show this coaching staff what he's all about because we keep seeing the same mistakes. There's no denying the talent, the flashes of ability. But the questions aren't just the turnovers. It's the missed opportunities. Uh, had Slayton on a couple of potential big throws that he could not connect. They're just one play away, but that's the recurring theme over and over, and I'm sure it becomes very frustrating for Giants fans. And the reality is this. This is a league where you are judged on what you do right now, and the idea that you're going to get three or four years to prove yourself. These games count. They're keeping score. The stats live forever. It's on your personal resume. And for Daniel Jones, it's got to change at some point or the team is going to end up going in a different direction. Ian, it's Paul. Good to hear your voice. Um, Good to check in with you again. You know, you you mentioned the game and obviously Giant fans are frustrated. No one's laughing. But, you know, I've known you for several years and I think it comes out in all your broadcasts and everything that you are one of the funniest guys in the business. You know, I'm I'm the only one on this podcast of, of Lawrence and Jake who actually knows what Borschfeld means. And I'm not kidding, okay? <laughs> they, they, they don't know what it means. I Googled okay? it, they, yes. They, they have to Google to know what Borschfeld means, but they don't know how to spell it. Um, <laughs> can you talk about growing up in a household that was just funny? If you think at times it is difficult to get that humor, you know, you do a serious thing, you do play-by-play, but you also bring a lot of humor into it, how you meld those two things in your career. Yeah, so my dad was a stand-up comedian, an entertainer, an actor, a musician. My mom was a singer and an actress, and that's all I knew. That's what I grew up in and going up to the Borscht Belt, Paul, as you mentioned, Catskills, New York, and all the different hotels at the time. It was a booming business, Concord, Grossinger's, Brown, Stevensville, Homawack, uh, Fallsview, Neville. You can go on and on. Uh, there, there were just so many hotels that were thriving. And they wanted entertainment. And my parents would entertain. 
So I'd go up with them, and I'm not talking about once in a while. I'm talking about every time they perform, sometimes three shows a weekend, every weekend of my life from the age of two all the way up till about eight, nine years old when they finally realized, okay, we can't bring our kid with us everywhere. He's got to have his own life and his own friends and his own existence. So that's all I knew, and it didn't seem odd. It didn't seem different because that was my reality. The humor side of it, uh, my dad was a really talented stand-up comedian. Uh, he killed every time, and in comedy, killing is a good thing. I never saw him have a bad show. I never saw him not connect with an audience. All I saw was success, 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 but it didn't really translate for him financially until he got into commercials. And he went through a stretch, guys, where no matter what commercial he went up for, he got over a five-year period. Anything he went up for, and that included the Xerox commercial and uh, Hertz and uh, Hunt's Tomato Ketchup and Gillette and Copper Tone, you name it, he was getting it. Fleischmann's Margarine, Mr. Cholesterol. So that changed his life, and it really changed our family's life in more ways than one. For me, I just thought being real and being authentic was the best way to present what you do as a broadcaster. But you also have to know your audience, and you can't treat these games like they're amateur night at the Chuckle Hut. You've got to know when the right time is and when you can blend in a little bit of comedy or levity. And I don't go into a game saying, oh, I'm going to do it here. I'm going to use this line there. If it hits me in the moment, I'm more confident than ever that I can go there because now at least I have a frame of reference and I've built up enough equity with the audience so that they know, hey, I am serious about the game. I care. I've prepared. It matters to me. But I also want to show the human side if possible and the fact that we can have fun while we do this. Hey, Ian, this is Lawrence. Hey, thank you uh, so much for coming on. And and I love the use of the words reflection point with Daniel Jones. I really think for all of Giants Nation, it is a reflection point with all the turnovers. My question to you is, what is more difficult? Is it a NBA game, NFL game? What do you find the most challenging to call? Yeah, they're, they're so different, Lawrence, in the preparation. You have that week to get ready for NFL and you know that there's so much and so many layers that go into it. So you're chipping away as the week goes by. You're dedicating time to one specific team on Monday more than the other. Then on Tuesday, you sink your teeth into the other team. Then you start meshing your notes on Wednesday, Thursday. And by Thursday, you might be getting access to players. Now via Zoom used to be uh, by a production meeting in person on Friday or Saturday. And it all leads up to this three-hour show that you're doing. So you feel that energy prior to this pandemic. It felt like an event. You're walking into these stadiums with 75, 80,000 people, cameras everywhere. And there was this, this adrenaline rush that would hit you. And it was once a week, even though I was doing games on the radio on Thursday nights or Monday nights, but I'm talking about the TV games specifically. NBA, because I do a local team, you might have four games in a week. And that's not to say that it doesn't feel as important, but you get more into the routine of it. And for me, I'm seeing the same team, the Nets, every week, unless I'm doing a national game on TNT. So a lot of my preparation is really on the opponent because I know what's going on with the Nets. I'm living that day in and day out. So 
they're just different in, in how you approach them, the information, and then the presentation is different as well because the local team, the built-in audience, I know who I am playing to on a nightly basis. NFL, with the Red Zone channel and with the satellite, you just don't know who's tuning in. So you have to be able to placate both sides. The fan that knows everything about their team, the inside and out, and then also the casual fan that isn't as locked in, hasn't read every story that week, hasn't looked at every preview. So you've got to be able to walk that fine line. With that said, I would say the NFL, based on the amount of players, based on the circumstance that we're facing right now with less access, uh, that's probably more challenging on a week-to-week basis compared to my normal NBA work. You were in the bubble, right, in Orlando? I was. How, How many days did you clock in there? I was there for 20 days. It was not Shawshank Redemption, Paul. I mean, you make it sound like I was trying to get out. Hey, how many days you got? Huh? 20 days. I got 20 days. Rikers. I, I was in, yeah. I was in the diet bubble, I want to say, because there was the bubble with the players yeah. and the coaches and the staff members and the officials. And then I was in this auxiliary bubble, which was about, 10 minutes outside the venue, we were at a hotel. Everybody from TNT, ESPN, and some league officials were in one spot. Now, we did have restrictions, and there was no going off campus, so to speak. And you went to your game, and you went back to your hotel, and that was it. I just found this routine of waking up, doing a little bit of work, taking a walk in 85-degree temperatures, going back to my room, bathing. I did that consistently. That's good. Eat lunch. Watch television, stream some videos, watch games, do more work, sleep, and then rinse, repeat, do it all over again the next day. That's how I kept myself sane for 20 days. I, I wasn't sure that we would get into Iron Eagle's bathing habits on this podcast, but um, I mean, it's important. So- I believe I believe that is an important part of life. You you want to you want to stay clean, especially I now. In yeah, especially right now. Yeah, now more than ever. Yeah. How, how was it doing these games in a bubble with no no sound, NFL games with no sound? I mean, you know, announcers all love to hear the sound of their own voice, but there's a point, where, <laughs> right? You know, there's a, there's a point where it's too much of a good thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's really something you've never done before. That's right, Paul. I enjoy the sound of my own voice. So uh, that becomes really the, the most prominent issue. No, no, the, the fact of the matter is it's been different. And it's been a little bit surreal. I'll take you through the bubble process first. Stan Van Gundy and I were the first game out of the gate. It was New Orleans and Utah in the restart of the NBA season. And I had no idea what to expect. You get there, you get to your broadcast location, you're not courtside. You're up at the top of the first level in a much smaller venue. There's video boards everywhere. They're piping in sound. I put the headset on, I look at Stan, and we just said, okay, we're in this thing together, let's let's go. I realized very quickly that uh, it was very dystopian. Uh, There's no getting around that. Everybody around us was wearing masks. We were told that uh, we could do the games without the mask on as long as we stayed in our little cubbyhole. And my area was plexiglass on three sides, in between me and Stan, in front of me, so where the action was, there was still plexiglass, and then to the left of me, and there was a stat person in another cubbyhole. It was like I was in the Pope Mobile. I felt very <laughs> confident 
that I was uh, going to be safe in that environment. And I certainly felt confident that I could not be assassinated. Like I was very well protected there. The game starts and the sound is just different. I told the audio guy, hey, look, give me some of the crowd that you're feeding to the audience, because at least if it can simulate in my own brain as I'm processing this, how to call the game, how to shift gears with my voice, how to use my voice, and how to try to understand what the presentation would look and sound like. And ultimately, when I started watching the games back, I thought the NBA, TNT, ESPN did a great job of presenting the games. It did feel like an NBA game. In the bubble, it was a bit surreal. Because it was a more intimate setting, it didn't stand out like I've experienced with the NFL. I walked into Baltimore week one at the Ravens and Browns, and again, not really knowing what to expect, fans were not allowed in. So empty stands where our broadcast location is in Baltimore, you are right in the thick of it normally with fans right in front of you. You can reach out and touch them. There's nobody there. So similar to NBA, I told the audio person, hey, just give me a little bit of that sound sweetener that you're using on the air so I can feel it a bit in my calls. So about five minutes into the game, the crowd noise is being fed into my headset, whatever they're feeding to the audience. I hear someone yell, come on! I'm looking around like, whoa, who was that? Was it a security guard? Was it an usher? What, what's going on? I literally am looking around my broadcast location trying to figure out who that was. I saw nobody. And then about 12 minutes later, I heard, come on! I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not... The guy was on a loop on the audio feed. Every 12 minutes, I heard, Come on, guy. That guy <laughs> kept popping up on the air. And that's when it hit me. Oh, this is really different. Again, I think at home, people have been comfortable for the most part. Of course, when you see some empty seats in the background of a shot, it does remind you, oh, wait, this isn't exactly what we're accustomed to. But because the TV presentation has been so good, I think fans are still getting the normal level of enjoyment out of watching these games and watching the competition in person. As you know, Paul, it is definitely different. Ian Eagle is joining us here on the Blue Rush podcast. Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz. Ian, you work with so many different partners over the years. You are, I mean, you were great with Dan Fouts, Solomon Wilcots. Trent Green, you and Richard Jefferson are great. You know, the guy shooting 69%, there's always a 69 reference and a, and a, and a Gronk joke, which makes which makes the Nets games very fun. But there's Bonnie and Clyde, there's the King and the Queen, there's Beyonce and Jay-Z, then there's Ian and Charles Davis. I mean, just an iconic duo. Charles Davis is one of the best in this business. This guy knows about everything and anything. He could tell you how many calories are in a Wendy's chicken nugget. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. Uh, he knows everything from A to Z. What is that experience when they announced that due on the offseason? I said, I am pumped for Charles and I. And uh, how has that experience been? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, guys. These are arranged marriages. This is not something where you get to choose your partner and you work it out. You're told, hey, this is what we're thinking. This is what we're doing. So they tell me that Charles Davis is coming over to CBS. I'm going to be working with him. I reach out to him with a text. He texts back. This is our mode of communication now. And in modern times, and we set up a time to talk. Call him two days later. We talk for an hour and 45 minutes, and we go everywhere. We run the gamut. 
And then Charles says, hey, would you want to do a Zoom at some point? So this is back in April. I said, yeah, absolutely. We could do a Zoom. We get Evan Washburn, our sideline reporter, in. We do a Zoom between the three of us on a Tuesday, 45 minutes. And we said, wow, this was great. Why don't we do a Zoom next week? So we do another Zoom, 45 minutes. And we say, this is working. Let's keep doing this. 45 minutes the next week. We do 16 straight weeks of 45-minute Zooms to get to know one another. Eventually, we bring in our producer, Mark Wolf, our director, Bob Fishman. And in this crazy time, we're bonding in a way that we would not have bonded in a normal off-season. Maybe Charles and I would have seen each other once, spent a little time together leading up to this new partnership. Instead, we're banking time week in, week out. And it's not all football talk. To be honest, there's about 20% football talk, 80% personal and background and family and high school and college. You, you name it, we talked about it. So when we actually showed up and did our first game together, it felt like we had spent all this time bonding So it really has translated on the air. He has a really large brain. His capacity for information is insane. And he is really passionate. He is ultra prepared. He is dialed in with so many people in this league. I've been blown away by his information. I've been blown away by his approach. And more than anything else, guys, he's an A-plus person. So on a personal level, when you now have to do this job together and trust one another. When you get good quality people in that role, uh, that just makes everything so much easier. What do you do as a kicker? I've always been fascinated by people's routines, right? As a kicker, I had to, you know, I had a routine on game days. What are two or three kind of fun things that you have to do before every game? Are you do re mi faso la ti doing, or are you <laughs> gargling? Are you gargling hot tea? I mean, what, what are some things that you have to do before you kick off or tip well, off? He's or... bathing. We know that he's bathing. That's important. I'm, I'm yeah. bathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a huge one. I really, really like a nice shower morning at the game, Mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's funny that, that you say that. I've been doing this now on, on a professional level, play-by-play, since 1994. So we're talking about 26 years of doing this job specifically. And within that 26-year period, Obviously, different sports, different networks, local, national. And the one constant that I have found that still people are like, well, why do you do that in a modern age? I still have to do everything by hand. So my preparation is not via computer. Of course, I'm using the Internet. Of course, I'm researching. I'm going to every possible place to procure information and find a different angle. But Ultimately, it ends up in written form, different colored markers, whatever it takes for your brain to understand what you need in the moment. And most people say, well, you know, there's a much, much easier way to do that. Yeah, but I need to do it this way. This is what works for me. Uh, we had somebody that won some kind of auction down in Miami to visit the booth a couple of years ago. And Dan Fouts and I are doing the game and I have my boards. You know, that's part of your preparation is creating boards with player names, numbers, background information, where they line up on the field. So you can visualize it when it really happens. And I pour my heart and soul into these boards. And there's a lot of small print 
that I've used pencil, then I've used a red pen, a blue pen, a purple pen, a black pen. And these two guys come into the booth. Someone brings them in. They Again, they've won some auction to tour the booth. And I turn around, hey, I'm Ian Eagle. Oh, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so. And Dan Fouts has computer printout boards in front of him. And they look at my boards and go, wow, what's that? I said, oh, well, you know, this is my prep. This is what I do. These are my boards. And I go, huh, I can't read any of that. I said, well, I mean, you don't have to. The point is that I can read it. That's the goal. They go, well, I like his a lot better. I go, well, great. Go look at his, man. I say, dude, get out of here. I don't, I don't need this. I don't need your personal criticism of my board. So that, that's, you know, that's the, the one thing that has remained consistent, same for basketball, uh, that, that has to be done that way for me. And, yeah, you're right, Lawrence. There, there are certain drinks, concoctions that I go with. Uh, there, there's a, a certain tea that, that I've grown to love that I find helps me and soothes my voice in, in some way. And it might just be mental at this point. I'm not even sure. But if someone's listening right now and they want to know what's the magic elixir, it's called throat coat and i probably down two of them a game nfl one nba and when you're doing back-to-back games like i did this past week i gotta have it Uh, again it might be a placebo but i buy into it and uh, if i could buy stock in it i would this portion of the show is brought to you by throat quote (laughs) oh God, they're a sponsor too. I uh, and how much money did we just make for you with this uh, with this, uh, this promo here? Yeah, I'm in. Like, please, please, just send it my way. I don't even need to get paid by them. Just send me free throat coat, and I'm good for life. We grew up, you know, in the same area. Uh, me older than you, certainly, but you know, Marv Albert had yes, right? Yes. Uh, Mike Breen has bang. You have Fletcher McGee is not human, right? <laughs> That's one that you have <laughs> uh, for, for the my, my, mighty Wofford. But when you think about all your calls and, and, and you know, you don't have the yes or the bang. You have such a myriad of, of things that you do. Is there one or two that you could say, man, I could, I could play that on a loop. I love that call. And, you know, that's the one I want to be known for. <laughs> Well, first of all, you're you're much older than me, Paul. Let's let's not mince words. I mean, to even to put us in the same age group is not fair. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to your audience. To be honest, uh, I would say on basketball, my, my, uh, and my audience doesn't even know how to get into the internet and do podcasts. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm just this is just going into the ether. Okay, this is just for my personal enjoyment here. Well, look, your audience has to get on their flip phone and try to figure some stuff out and make it happen. Yeah, for basketball, you know, I'd say I have a couple that I'll use and I'll go to, and I've gotten reaction from people, but I really never got into this thinking, oh, I'm going to come up with a saying and it's going to grow and people are going to put it on t-shirts. But for basketball, it it definitely plays to uh, a type of broadcast style where you can hit a buzzword that will resonate with an audience. For whatever reason, I don't know why, in college, when Syracuse was playing Pitt my senior year, Pitt had an excellent team. Sean Miller was on that squad, and Brian Shorter, and Jason Matthews. It was a really good team. And Brian Shorter dunked on Syracuse. He may have dunked on Derek Coleman, in fact. 
And I don't know why it came out in the moment, but I said, oh, that's a man's jam. Oh, I it love rhymed. That. Yeah, it just had a little, it had a little something to it. And my broadcast partner, who was a fellow student at the time, like turned around, like, did you just say that? And we went to break. He's like, where, where would that come from? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> and then I found myself when I got to the NBA using it as well because it, it was appropriate. It, it, it told you that, hey, this is better than a normal dunk. This one was done with a little extra juice. Then, I don't know, uh, probably 2004, 2005, we would meet with Lawrence Frank before deck games. He was the head coach of the team. He would give us 10 minutes, oftentimes off camera, just for background information. He was great, and he was very transparent. And he was talking about Aaron Williams, who was on the team. The A-train. And he kept saying, yeah, yeah. The A train. He kept saying, "Like, well, we got to get inside. We got to get rack attacks, and and we got to get in and get more rack attacks." I'm like, what is, what is he talking about? So he leaves the room, and with my producer Frank DeGrace, who's been now producing Nets games for twenty plus years, and I said, "Did you hear that? Like rack attack?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, that, that was interesting." So what happens? Aaron Williams goes inside and slams it down, and really just to entertain Frank DeGrace, I said. Oh, Aaron Williams on a rack attack. And he hits the talk back button. He's like, oh, I like it. And I just started using I don't even know if Lawrence is aware of the fact that he even said it. But it became a call, and I would start using it on, on big dunks, big finish. I was using many, many years ago, and, and Frank, the, the same producer, uh, he always reacted to it in the truck whenever I would say, that's a big finish. He's like, I like that. You know, you should patent that. You should copyright it. Uh, I didn't. I didn't do any of those things. <laughs> and and then the one you mentioned, he's not human. To me, again, it takes it to another level when someone is doing something that is just so ridiculous that you have to acknowledge the moment. This is not the norm. He's now hit eight straight threes, or he keeps driving in time and time again. And I've used it a few times on football when like Khalil Mack was on one of those crazy runs and his fourth sack of the day, uh, you, you break out a, a he's not human just to let people know that, that this is something special. Yeah, I and I have definitely watched games from my couch and said, that's a man's jam, or, uh, you know, I'll play NBA Jam back in the day and say that. Um, so that rack attack, you know, the H, there's so many good ones, and he's not human, another one. You've, you've had some good ones on NBA TV as well um Ian eagle one of the best in the business you can catch him on yes network nets games nfl and cbs charles davis westwood one nba on tnt college basketball you also this year you could add big old bubble block to uh your resume as well that's a that's one you can only use in 2020 never again so uh unless unless we have another bubble in the future Ian, you'll never be able to say that again uh so uh, i i Hope we can retire it. That, that would be my wish, that that's the end of big old bubble block from uh, that one portion of time in our life. Yeah, uh, rest in peace. Uh, Ian, we appreciate the time on the show. We really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Guys, my pleasure. Was this the pre-interview? When are we doing the actual interview? Yeah, well, <laughs> that'll be later today. Yeah. Okay, great. Just call me back. Thanks All right, Ian, take care, man. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, that's a man's jam. 
And that says cheerio to episode 48, the Kenny Hill edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCroy for producing the show. Catch up on all Blue Rush episodes by finding us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever the hell you get your pods. Please give us that five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple. For Paulie Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. See you all on Thursday as we preview the Giants matchup with Washington. They beat them once. Can they do it again? Stay safe, folks. <laughs>